What episode number? 17. What? It's not. Episode 17. Wow. 17. Is it really? Yeah. And welcome to the Creative Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we leave it a month and you forget how to talk. You've not got me my best, right? <laughs> oh my god, it's almost been a month since even Flash Ageddon. I know, it's terrible. Uh, hello and welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast, episode 17. With me, Ian Lobb. And me, Seb Lee Delisle. Episode 17. That's amazing. That's like, um, it's not a milestone at all, but no. at the same time, it's the first one that started to sound like a high number. It is. It's, it's like those awkward teenage years where we start experimenting <laughs> with alcohol. Yeah. The creative, <laughs> the creative coding, coding podcast can drive now. Cool. So, um, how have you been? Good. It's been really intense the last few months, and this last month was no exception. Where was I last time? And I just got back from Sweden. I, I don't remember. even know. I think I got back from Sweden, and then I went to Germany, and I did something in Leeds, and then it was December. And I, I was meant to be taking December off, but I forgot right. that I'm teaching a, a degree, <laughs> a university degree <laughs> <laughs> at Sussex Downs College. Um, and I'm doing it better this time. I think we're going to talk a bit about that today, aren't we? Yeah, we are. That's one of our and, topics. And, and how about you? How are you doing? Um, similar, very busy, working on Alice, lots of work on that. I've been posting some progress on that. You know, I, I haven't been following that at all. Oh, this is I'll your this is your new indie game. This is the indie game. It's been in production for about a month, uh-huh. most of which time I've just spent on like engine stuff and okay. animation. But um, yeah, I'm learning a lot. I po- I tweeted a while ago, a few days ago, about basically like my thoughts, which was that every time I try and do something in the game in game development and I find out that I don't know how to do it and I've, or I've never done it before yeah. I'm like god what have I been doing like for the last 10 years I should have been doing this what was I doing like and it makes you regret every like multi-language microsite or something that you made yeah well I mean even like, in even in casual gaming though there's quite a lot of different genres and you know there and are yeah I'd made games true. quite a while before I'd even done a platform game oh, and then I did yeah. like a Buster Move type puzzle bubble game and then you realise that, that no other game you could have ever made would have prepared you for that, right? Yeah. Because that's like a totally yeah. different kind of mechanic. Lots of yeah, weird I mean, on, yeah, on Extreme Pamplona, you would have solved a lot of the problems that I'm kind of having to solve now. And okay. it, it does require like another layer of depth that you normally don't go into for most yeah. projects. Is it, like is it that really extra sort think. of slopey physics and stuff? It's, yeah, and it's the animation system as well. It just seems to be incredibly complex. Like Alice now has like about... She's got more than 20 animations. Yeah. And it's just syncing them all and knowing which one to play at what point. And things like, if she was ducking, yeah, she's got a stand-up from ducking animation. Yes. But I'm not going to... If you like want to run off, I'm not going to make you watch the whole thing. Yeah. So then I have to do a whole load of conditionals. Like, if you're standing up but you're not moving, you play the stand-up from duck animation, otherwise go straight into the run animation and things like that. I, I think I implemented a state machine for that when I did it. Um, it's sort of a state machine, the way I do it. But, I mean, I, what I've got is a load of animations which are objects. Yeah. And I just say, if it's this scenario, this one. If it's this scenario, this one. Yeah. So it's quite... I mean, the logic's pretty easy to follow. There's just a lot of different conditionals, right? Yeah. Like, if this is happening and this is happening. Mm. I mean, the problem with state machines is that it, it only lets you have one state at a time, as yeah. far as I've seen them. And that never seems to be the case for anything that I do. Yeah. I mean, because like, one, one of the things I'm working on for this, for Alice, for the engine, is that you've you can run and you can attack with um weapons Hmm. and with if you but you can also run and attack with a weapon at the same time okay and so to do that i have to play the legs from one animation and the top half from another animation yeah it can get pretty fiddly so it it does get quite complex and so the state machine doesn't really cover it you more kind of need like a hierarchy of things so like start by start with a run animation and then on top of that superimpose the attack animation Mm. um but yeah, I'm learning a hell of a lot and it's quite, it's really interesting. So that's We cool. should talk more then, about this in a minute, but I just wanted to say what we're going to cover in this episode because we've yeah. got an interview as well, right? Uh, yeah, which one is it? Josh Hirsch. Okay, cool, yeah. Who's basically, well, he calls himself Minister of Technology at Big Spaceship in Britlin. Uh, was he, what was he talking about again? <laughs> um, I just listened to He was to just it. talking about, oh, like being a flash shop versus... Oh, yeah. 
they never said they were a flash shop, and so now, yeah, yes. that's the one, right? That was one of it, yeah. There's yeah. quite a lot that we talked about. So I, I caught up with Josh last time I was in New York. It was a little while ago now, but still totally relevant. And um, what else were we going to talk about? Um, Windows 8 applications, or the Metro-style applications, and kind of Microsoft have announced their store, their app store for okay. Windows 8. Yeah, so I thought... Don't know anything about that. That's cool. Yeah, it's worth <laughs> covering briefly. Um and then what were the we other were, ones we were going to talk more about teaching, I think. Teaching, and then the the kind of a, a bit of an Adobe update, and I want to talk about the Stage 3D blacklist. Oh yeah, that's good. And then um, <laughs> what was the last one? Oh, hacks, because I've been learning a little bit about hacks or hex or however you want to say it. Is so. there any follow-ups from last time? I was going to say last um, week, but it was like uh, I'll, I'll buy uh, what is it? Our fortnightly podcasters. Has become monthly, but yeah. <laughs> it's well, a last month. The aim is to get it back to fortnightly eventually, right? <laughs> yes. Well, in an ideal it should world, be a right? little less intense for me, at least for a few months. Yeah. Okay. But it seemed to go all right last month, didn't it? People seemed to respond okay for the most part. I think some people didn't think we were taking it quite seriously enough, or we, there was. It's not really that. There's more some kind of gallows humour involved, right? Yeah. And I don't think everyone appreciated that, but. You've got you've got to laugh when everything goes horribly wrong, yeah. otherwise you you'll cry, won't you? What about the guy on my blog? Did you see that? No. He was like, yeah, you know, sometimes you started things saying, well, I'm not an expert, but I think this, and it's like, well, if you're not an expert, you shouldn't say anything about it. Right. <laughs> but if we say we're not experts, we're just being modest. Aren't yeah, because really, we, we, we know everything. We <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we didn't think that we knew what we were talking about to a certain extent, we wouldn't even do the podcast. Well, you know, right? what, what I, you know, I replied with. Uh, with good humour, I, I think. Of course, we're not going to know everything, are we? But I think we can. Um, we can still. Mm. We can admit I mean, when we're not experts in something, and, and we yeah. can still give our impression of it, right? Yeah, I mean, on a lot of tech podcasts and stuff that aren't done by developers, they yeah. literally don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> like things like, without naming names, things like this week in tech. Like those guys literally don't have any idea. They they only go off of press releases and like what they've read on other blogs i don't i've never listened to that podcast but do they just they just read about the tech news yeah and they'll do they'll do a thing like flash and they'll talk about you know you know is it dead and all this stuff without actually ever written having written a line of action script <laughs> and do you know what i mean i don't i personally don't think it's you know you can really compare flash and html say from a technical perspective unless you're a developer and you've worked with them yeah because otherwise you're just going off of you know hype and stuff and you're not actually going back to the source and thinking you know what okay what actually can these technologies do mm, yeah yeah totally oh there was something else i meant to say as well but i've forgotten what it was when we did when we used to record them in the morning we used to go oh it's early i have my brain's not woken up yet <laughs> now it's the evening it's like oh it's like my brain's fallen asleep yeah oh yeah i know what i was gonna say we had the best compliment ever yes do you remember the best compliment ever Is that being the adam and joe of technology or something <laughs> yeah. like that yeah. Which I think is amazing, yeah, it's if only. But, so it was yeah. Brendan Dawes. I think he said we were the Adam and Joe of, like, coding or something, which was a brilliant compliment. Adam and Joe, if you haven't checked them out, you should, uh, they're kind of quirky British duo. They've got yeah. a radio show and a podcast. You should check them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they're jokes. way better than we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's not really any real comparison, but it's always nice to have a compliment, isn't it? So. Yes, very cool. So back to your game. All right, so it's, is it a platformy sort of game? Yeah, it's like a puzzle platformer. Yeah. So it's not kind of twi it's not Twitch based, but there is some running and jumping and fighting in it. So it's like, and it's based on Alice in Wonderland. It's based on Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, our kind of interpretation of it. Are there copyright issues with that? No, Alice in Wonderland is one of the very safe ones. Is it out of copyright? Yeah, because it's so old. Yeah, I don't know with the Disney stuff. Like Disney own obviously their 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 version of Alice. Yeah. And their characterization, um, I guess. Yeah, so if you drew an Alice that was too close to yeah. Disney's Alice, you might be in trouble. Uh -huh. I'm not sure about the word Alice in Wonderland as well, because the book is called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Oh. But, I mean, a Alice is kind of well known as one of the really safe ones, and, you know, there's been a million adaptations of Alice already, and there's no licensing okay. for, for the Alice property. So it's a, it's a safe one, and it's a great kind of just kick-off point for making something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a very rich world, isn't it? It is, yeah. And there's you, you know, there's lots of wacky ideas in it that you can kind of sculpt to suit your own the story you want to tell and things like that. So yeah, I mean, what we're doing is, you know, because in the book she kind of Alice goes on this adventure and she has a lot of conversations with these characters. Yeah. But in our game, it's going to be more like they're going to be more like boss fights. 
<laughs> basically. We're kind of trying to turn it into gameplay rather than having... A chat. Having a chat, yeah. You, you learn about these characters by kind of having to defeat them. And when you say having a fight with, I mean, how do these fights um, manifest themselves? Or They're going to be like boss fights, right? So you have to... There's, a boss fight, to me, is kind of like a puzzle. Yeah. It's like an action puzzle. It's like you have to do some actions, um, otherwise you get squished. And there's something that you have to work out, like the, the behaviour of this particular creature, um, in order to defeat it. Yeah, because like I only think when I think of boss fights, it's just like shooting this massive ship about a hundred times for it to blow up. Sure, and it might you, have wiggly arms. Mm, but you more have to think of like bosses with multiple forms and things like that, or with attack patterns. I see. Like the classic one is like you know, there's a boss that like charges up a laser beam, and while it's charging up, you can't hurt it. Then it fires the laser beam, and you have to dodge it. And mm. then after it's fired the laser beam, it's in some kind of state where it's vulnerable, where it's like recharging or something. Yeah. And at that point, you can attack it. It's that kind of idea. So um, does Alice have, like, weapons and stuff? Yeah, we can't really reveal too much about them, but yes, there is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic platformer done in a kind of... in the style of, like, an 18th century illustration. <laughs> and so Amanda's doing all the art Amanda's work, doing guess. the art, yeah. So, yeah, we've worked on some games before together and it seems to work really well. And this is the first one where we're kind of doing something a bit more artistic I suppose because even though when I describe it it won't sound very artistic yeah but when you see it and play it you'll kind of get a completely different vibe yeah if that makes sense well it sounds like the sort of game that would be artistic sure so these levels are they like really big scrolling levels then um there's small scrolling levels okay so it's going to be kind of divided into like little chapters or kind of rooms you could think of them as and you you do do them in a linear order yeah um so it's not like a game where you can wander around and get lost for too long. Yeah. Um, it's like you do you do a room or a little kind of mini you know area, and each area uh, has some puzzles and some baddies in order to get through it, basically. Okay. Um, and we're playing with a few different mechanics, like we've got some portals and things like that. If you, yeah. You've played games with portals in, and there's going to be some puzzles to do with that. We've got we're going to have conveyor belts and that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Uh, awesome. Different bosses and yeah, so yeah. Is it how long do you think it's going to take to play the whole game? I don't game? know. Oh, to play, yeah. probably about that. See, that kind of depends as well. Yeah. Um, how long do you it, want it to take? Well, if we do, if it's going to be if it's going to be that we just release it as a free game on the web, which is the likely scenario. Yeah. It probably won't have more than about forty minutes of gameplay. It's or still maybe quite an hour. long, isn't it? For a first game. long for a free game. Yeah. But then if we decide that we want to if we do i mean the basically thing is if when we've got all ideas in if it's more than like an hour or something yeah we'll add in a bit more stuff and probably try and sell it directly but then that's a whole nother thing that i've never tried before but mm. it also depends if we get a decent sponsorship offer because if we don't we're just gonna we're just gonna sell it as a point on point of principle yeah um but then if we do get into that situation, it becomes like, oh, well, we shouldn't have made it in Flash because if we'd made it in, like, another technology, we could have a 60 frames per second game versus a 30 frames per second game. What, you mean just, like, a downloadable game then? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And are you just yeah. doing it with old-school Flash? You're not doing any stage 3D wizziness? Um, no, it's not stage 3D because, I mean, and that will segue on to our next topic quite yeah. nicely, I think, <laughs> which is that... The... Yeah, we don't just throw this together. <laughs> this is all... Finally um, choreographed. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, when Stage 3D was originally announced by Adobe, something that never crossed my mind, certainly, was the idea that it, even if people had the plug-in, they might not be able to see the 3D because they don't have the right graphics card or drivers. Yeah. And it's turning out that that is exactly what's happened and the actual number of people who can who can't see Stage 3D content, even if they've got the latest Flash player, is very, very high. Some yeah. people are reporting up to about 50% or up to 70%. It's kind of um, a big deal. I mean, it's a massive deal because it just becomes like, unless you're making a high-end 3D game, you know, where you can justify it. Yeah. Like, if you were making, like, Unreal Engine, for example, they can run, they can run like, Unreal 3 or whatever in, in Flash, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's great if you're making Unreal 3 because people who play that kind of game understand that you need a whatever high-spec computer or, you know, you need to update your drivers in order to play it. Yeah. But... You know, the whole thing with Starling, which is the 2D, the hardware accelerated 2D um, library, is that that's for making 2D casual games. And, you know, for that market, it just has to work. Yeah. And, you know, at the moment, it completely isn't going to. Yes. And this kind of reminds me a bit of our interview with Aris from Unity. Right. When was that? 
Oh, that was episode 15. Right. <laughs> that, was in sep- that was at the end of September. And, um, you know, because I was talking to him about, you know, isn't it really hard to get a web player, a web plugin to, to work with the GPU? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it was really hard. That's why we've got 50 engineers on it. <laughs> right. You sure. know, so... Uh, and, and so is it... I mean, I sort of think that this is a problem that will will probably go away over time, right? But it would have been um, it would have been nice if if Adobe would have been able to invest that sort of the same kind of engineering that that Unity would have had uh, to get that to work on. I don't know why they just decided to do it the way they did it. Well, just because it's, it costs too much to support all the old graphics cards because it take you have to. You know, you have to do specific stuff for each card, don't you? Right. From what, that's, right. That was certainly what Aras uh, implied in, in the interview. Sure. Yeah, well, in that case, it's it's really bad. And it <laughs> makes the whole idea of the Unity 3D Flash export seem utterly pointless. Yeah. Because they, Unity 3D have already got better support. Well, they've got a better plugin, But, of course, the, the reason that they're trying to get the Flash, you know, the Flash exporter is because the, the Flash plugin has got far better adoption rates than the unity one right but, yeah but yeah. then if you're blocking out 50 percent of users yeah and then, then it's just going to fall back to that horrible <laughs> software renderer and well, which, which just means gonna... that means nothing because no one no one would make anything that would work if you no. fell back to the render anyway so i mean that's kind of the equivalent of just using paper vision i mean it might be a little bit more uh, no, i mean paper, from what i hear paper vision is, is faster really yeah how could that's well that's just silly well that's true well, you know because paper vision was super optimized wasn't it yes Yes, that's true. I mean, you know, paper vision and the paper vision stuff was really low polygons and stuff, and it was designed yeah. to, to. And whereas just getting a high poly model and putting in a software renderer, well, it'd just be ridiculous. And and I guess that's why we spent months and months on our paper vision projects trying to get all the mod- models to be like uh, fewer than a hundred triangles. You know. Yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you've been there as well, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's just not going to happen, is it? Basically, anyone that makes anything that targets stage three D, it's not going to work on the software renderer. It's just going to be horrible. No. So, but then WebGL, I hear, has the same problems and worse. Yeah. Or at least as bad, which mm-hmm. I never realised either. I thought the WebGL issue was just to do with people who have got Chrome. But actually, no, it's not. It's, it's even the same you, thing. Even if you've got Chrome, you still need all this pixel shader too and this kind of stuff, right? Right. So that's just modern GPUs as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So then that leaves Unity, which I think has better support. It's got the best 3D support. I mean, it's, I think it's all kind of in its infancy, isn't it? This uh, It's both Stage 3D and WebGL. They're both kind of really new and just sort of trying to mm. figure out all I the think problems. That, mm, I think that 3D plugins might just be cursed. <laughs> if you think about it, like VRML, um, <laughs> Active Worlds. Do you remember that one? No. Active Worlds was like the virtual reality one where you could like walk <laughs> around and stuff. I thought that was VRML. VRML. No, VRML was just like you could make some boxes. <laughs> In 3D. Active World was the one where you could, like, walk around and fly around and stuff. It's kind of precursor to Second Life. I see. And then Shockwave 3D, and yeah. then, you know, WebGL, Unity. Unity was, like, doomed. It's never had any, it's never had any penetration. And then yeah. Flash thing doesn't work. WebGL, <laughs> no one's got it. And Microsoft are, like, vetoing it. And sure. It just seems like a disaster, right? I think it's just pretty complicated to get it to work. Yeah. Do you think? But then the future is apps. The future's not even on the web. This is my this is what I'm thinking now. Yeah. Because, you know, all the mobile platforms, the best experiences are through apps now, right? Yeah. Then on Mac, they've got the Mac App Store now. Yeah. And the final piece of the puzzle. And then there's things like Steam, which are already like, you know, as a way of selling games really successful and stuff, right? And lots of people get their games off of Steam. Yeah. On the PC and on the, I guess it's on the Mac as well. Sure. But yeah, so then the final piece of the puzzle is kind of the Windows 8 mm. app store. Okay. Right? Then every ma- then all the major platforms, apart from Linux, have an app store, right? Yeah. And as a, you know, as a games developer, it's actually better to sell stuff than to give it away for free. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, crazy as that sounds. And, you know... Um, with Flash, there's a weird niche yeah. where we, you know, because the volumes are so high, the ad revenue money is pretty decent, and so yeah. then you can it's, you can do decent business to just like make the games for free. But that's, that's like a real exception, isn't it? It is, and I don't think there's anything else on the web that really makes. I mean, I've said, I've had like some pretty popular sites, but I've never made any money out of Google Ads or anything like that. I mean, the only equivalent is 
I mean, well, people do make money out of Google Ads. Yeah. But the problem is that, that written content doesn't generate that much traffic. Yeah. The, 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 the kind of main equivalent, I'd say, on the web is things like YouTube. Yeah. Where you can be a professional YouTuber, right? And if you get, like, two million, you know, views on each of your videos for YouTube, YouTube will give you enough ad money to live, <laughs> right? Yeah. There are, you know, there's lots of professional YouTubers now and they get sponsorships and stuff as well from products and things like that. That's crazy, isn't it? I know, but it's awesome. Cool. I think they're awesome. I mean, most yeah. of them are like makeup tutorials and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but like, it's a, I just love that idea that, you know, that's like, that's completely living the dream of like, yeah, you can just broadcast to the world from your bedroom and become a superstar. Yeah, it's very which cool. Which I think is, is very cool, yeah. So I don't, I don't know much about this, um, this Windows 8 app store then. Have you looked into it? Have you um, got Windows? Is it out? I yet? haven't got. Uh, you can get it um, like a developer preview, I think. I oh, know. Yeah. Can you? I yes. don't know. I don't even have a PC anymore. You, you're you're the PC guy. Yeah. You can get a developer preview, but I never update my operating system though. <laughs> I've you know I just buy I just leave it and then I'll buy, buy a new computer. So. Have you got Windows ninety five still? No, I'm on Vista. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but for this reason, I never update my operating system. So. I'm hoping that I can survive now until Windows 8 because my, my PC still runs fine and stuff. So so what we know about it is that um, it's these Metro-style applications. Yeah. Now, you can make these in HTML5. Yeah. You can make them with C-sharp and XAML. So that's kind of like Windows Presentation Foundation yeah. stroke Silverlight uh-huh. technologies. And you can make them with... You can make games with native C++ if you target DirectX 11. Okay. Which is the very latest and wizziest version of DirectX. Okay. I, th- I hope I've got that right. So- it sounds convincing. I-, I hope it's right and it's not 10, because I know a lot of games still use 9. Right, so you're not sure what number it is. I'm, I'm going to double check this now, because we need to get that number It right. doesn't really matter what number it is, does it? I don't think people listen to us for accuracy. It's 11.1. Okay. Okay, so if you want to make a really high-performance game, yeah. you write it in C++ and you target DirectX 11.1. Sure. Right. Now, the problem with that is that there are very few technologies at the moment that actually target that. Yeah. Including XNA, which is Microsoft's own game development <laughs> library, which is what you make Windows um, phone games with. So then that becomes a huge problem, right? Yeah. That they haven't even, they're not even supporting this stack themselves. I mean, they do support it because Microsoft supports DirectX and C++, but for like a more casual developer or, you know, a smaller team, Smaller teams need, like, high-level software, generally, as a rule, right? Yeah. If you've got a team of, like, 10 people, you can make your game in DirectX 11 and C++ yourself, right, and do sure. all the graphics programming. But if you're a smaller team, yeah. you need You don't want to do that, really, do you? Right. So, I mean, will Unity 3D publish to this format? Maybe. should do, shouldn't it? Um, That's kind of what they do, right? That's their thing. I mean, they're already published to, to Windows X's, yeah. right? So. Well, well, where? I doubt it. Yeah, I'm sure I will eventually. Just give it a few years, they'll catch up. You know, Stage 3D could definitely target it because, you know, DirectX 11, well, that's way ahead of the stuff that is required for, uh, was it OpenGLES or whatever it is? But aren't you just talking about, like, seriously hardcore games at this point? Um, yeah, but then the, that's the only high-performance stack that they're giving you because yeah. otherwise you have to make it in JavaScript. <laughs> There's no middle ground, really. Sure. That, that but I, I mean, I, I guess it's like like you're saying, if you've got like a huge studio full of experts, then you can you can do it all properly and go hardcore. But if it's just a couple of guys, then you're probably going to just use XNA, aren't you? But you can't use XNA. That's that's the you point. But I thought you no, because XNA is like an older version of DirectX, so it won't actually work. Oh. Do you think they'll update that? They might. I mean, is pretty cool, isn't it? It is. It's, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. gets the job done. The problem is it locks you into the Microsoft yeah. stack completely. So we've just um, got to hope that Unity get their stuff together. Yeah. Unity and maybe Hacks. Do you want to talk about Hacks now? Yeah, yeah. So let's just finish the Windows 8 thing, which okay. is that, I mean, there's not, there's not so much to say about it other than it's a typical app store. So they take 30% of okay. the money. But it's just that way of, like, selling software becomes a bit easier yeah right you don't have to run your own download shop and stuff yeah which is great for game developers but i mean one of the things that they had in the video as well was um they had a preview of cut the rope oh yeah um you know the iphone game yeah i know it right apparently it's it's using the html5 stuff cut the rope is in the the windows 8 in the windows one yeah yeah and it's insanely fast it just looks ridiculous so but then like um in ie9 and assume and presumably 10 as well and also presumably in metro i mean they've got some pretty good implementations of canvas and yeah. even svg is hardware yeah. accelerated so yeah i mean you could just make cut the rope and 
cut the rope in canvas and it will run. Yeah, really I think that's fast, I think that's probably what they did, and it, yeah. and it looks great. And they've also got some nice like two D animations, you know, like for the yeah. for the um, you know iPhone games always have like an animated intro thing, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that all of that animation would have been done in Flash, though, don't you? Cut yeah. The rope. Oh yeah, the character animation. What is probably... what is it? Is it like a frog or something? It's a frog that loves sweet. Some really beautiful touches, actually. It is, yeah. If the sweet goes near him, he opens his mouth. And then if it drops, he looks really sad. (laughs) You know, it's just stuff like that. Yeah. Just really, really seriously um, highly polished game. But I can't play it. I find it really hard and annoying. Have you got it on your phone? Um, I've got the free version, and that's like... Yeah. How'd you get on with it? I I enjoy it, but, like, I get stuck at the end of the free levels, and then I'm like, I'm not going to pay for it because... yeah. I mean, yeah. I find that with a lot of games. Like, I play the demo, and it's all... I, like... By the by the end of the demo, it's out of my my skill range. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So then, yeah, hacks. Uh-huh. Did we, have, did we ever do a session of... Did we do a podcast about hacks? We didn't, because I don't think that... I, I didn't really feel like I knew enough about it, I don't think. Yeah. But I feel like I've had a little investigation now, and I do feel like I probably know enough to at least comment. We should probably uh, explain what it is. Yeah. So the story goes that um, this guy, Nicholas Canass, is it Canass? Yes, Canass. Yeah, Nicholas Canass, a few years ago, kind of probably in a slightly grumpy mood with Adobe, decided that he wanted to... I think he'd already created Swift Mill. He made M- MTask as far as I can remember. And what was MTask? So MTask was... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, that's what, I think that's the one I meant. Was yeah. the open source action script compiler. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. So... Because the 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 flat you know the flash compiler in the ID was so slow back then yeah and this would have been like what oh four oh five yeah and um, you know you just wait minutes and minutes for your your Swift to get generated from the Flash Pro IDE because it would compress all the assets every time plus yeah. also the code compiler wasn't very good so Nicholas made uh, an open source compiler called MTASC M T A S C um, and they that was when FDT started as well because they um, they built this Eclipse uh, version of Eclipse or a plugin I can't quite remember at the time I remember setting it up it was a nightmare it was really really hard to set up in Eclipse um, but once you'd done it your workflow just sped up several times you know but it took me a month to get it set up with Eclipse basically sure. what it did was it it took your Swift that came out of Flash Pro which obviously had all the assets in and the bytecode um, and it wouldn't recreate all the assets it would just compile the your source code and sort of inject it in to the the code part of that Swift, and it was so so fast. So suddenly, you know, our, your action script was compiling in a couple of seconds within a built-in IDE, rather than sat there hitting Control Enter in the Flash Pro uh, app, waiting for five minutes. Sure, you know, I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. So it was, it was kind of groundbreaking at the time. It totally transformed my workflow. But like I say, as with all those things, you know, it literally took me a month to get it set up. It was such a such <laughs> yeah. a nightmare. I think hacks is still kind of one of those technologies where it does require a bit of poking. Yeah, sure. So I guess hacks, hacks came a bit later, right? Because I guess when <laughs> AS3 came out, it, I think there was less need. I don't think... M, did MTask ever target AS3? I'm not sure. No. So it was at that point they decided that they could no longer work within the limitations of ActionScript. And he wrote his new a new a slightly changed language called and it's called hacks h-a-x-e which which was essentially like i think it came about its reason for being initially was that nicholas found all these horrible inefficiencies in the compiler so you know there are like in the flash player there are all these um these commands that you could call with the action script bytecode that the compiler wasn't writing to so here's an easy one to try and grasp that concept in the in the Flash Player, there is an action script bytecode command for incrementing a variable. Yeah, so adding one to a variable is the equivalent right. of like I plus plus. So if you wrote I plus plus in your action script, you'd com- you'd expect it to compile to this special command that was optimized. But instead, it compiled to action script bytecode that was the equivalent of I equals I plus one, which wasn't optimized. Right. So it seemed like there was a disconnect between the people that made the Flash Player and the people that made the Flash compiler. And of course, that was very frustrating for Nicholas, who wanted the, the best optimization. And it was just seemed a bit ridiculous that Adobe's own compiler wasn't optimized for the player. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then, so then um, Nicholas also started wanting things like inlining functions and stuff like that, other kind of extra yeah. optimization stuff. And I think there's also the thing of wanting to have one language to, that compiles across multiple platforms. Yeah. I mean, that's where it seems to be. 
seems to have gone in the last few years. But I wonder, uh, as far as I know, that wasn't its its initial starting point. But but that's certainly where it is now. Maybe you can take up that yeah, conversation so now. Basically, it, it now where it is now, hacks. It's a cool language. It's got lots of great features. Like you know, it's packed full of, full of features. It's got some really nice things. Like you know how you have like anonymous function, um, anonymous objects yeah. in JavaScript and in ActionScript, where you can have like these type defs, which are like anonymous objects but with static types yeah so it just makes it really easy to just you know you can knock together like a quick data object but also have type safety and all that stuff so yeah. it's like the best of both worlds where you don't have to like make a class for every single i mean if you take like you, you might make your own custom point class but all it's got is two variables called x and y yeah right you don't you never have to do that you can just make this little inline thing that's just like yeah okay here's an object it's got an x which is a which is a float and a y which is a float so just remind me you can't you can't do that in action script 3 in action script 3 no you can either make and have a like a javascript style object right yeah just an anonymous object with just some yeah, dynamic so you can types. Do that. yeah a dynamic object yeah yeah or you can make a class where you define you know it has to have a constructor and you know an x and a y property public properties and stuff okay right but this is just something in between those two it's like a lightweight thing that's but anyway, it's got lots of great features. And okay. So now you can target, they've got this thing called Nico VM, which is like a server-side platform. Yes. Um, so you can target that and use that as your for all your server-side stuff. It's, and to talk. Is that part, is that by, is that by Nicholas or isn't that I'm, I'm pretty sure thing? it is. No, I'm pretty sure it's, I thought that it's not was part of else. Hacks. But yeah, yeah. It's not part of Hacks, but I think it, it also happens to be like by the same guys. So I, I didn't think that it was, but I could be wrong. I, I, I mean, we've had various kind of uh, presentations about hacks. I mean, I know Nicholas really well, actually. And every time I see him, I try and get him to explain to me exactly what it's all about. But he's just too clever and I don't, I don't always understand it. And, and then I had... Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to get his name wrong again, aren't I? Lee McCall Sylvester. Right. We had him come yeah. down to Dot, uh, to Dot Brighton. It was a couple of years ago now. And I think he was talking about Nico and... Uh, and and I think also he was talking about like Node at the time, which was a long time ago. Yeah, but it says that um, Neko is developed as part of the research and development effort for better languages by Motion Twin. And Motion oh, so Twin, Motion yeah. Twin, that is Nicholas. Yeah, that isn't is it? Nicholas. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so there's that, so that you can use that as your server side platform instead of PHP or whatever. Sure. Um, then you can target Flash, obviously JavaScript, um, and now iPhone, Android, um, obviously. Uh, native Mac, Windows, and Linux, and HTML5 or JavaScript, and yeah, so that's pretty much everything that I can think of. Well, learning a new platform, it seems to me more about the environment of that platform and the objects and the APIs rather yeah. than the language. So, if I write something in a single language, I wouldn't expect that to work on an iPhone and on a Mac and on in Flash because Flash has movie clips and a Mac has, uh, you know. Cocoa yeah, or whatever. And so I've... I guess the answer to that though is um, the is hacks enemy. Yeah. So this is what you've is, been looking at. Yeah, which is well because I mean, and you know, I wouldn't really be able to understand it at all without like the help of um, uh, Philippe from uh, the Flash Develop okay. team. Oh yeah, because there's a Flash Develop for hacks now. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's been making it so a lot more usable. Mm. Um, and then, uh, sorry, let's get the guy's name right. Um, Oh, it's so hard to know everyone's names. I know. Why don't people stick the plaster their names over things more? I know. I hate self with different Twitter names from who they actually are. Anyway, yeah. So Philip's done loads of work on on kind of making it all work in Flash Develop and giving it a good, making a nice environment where it just works. And if you're like a pretty non-technical person like me, yeah, um, you can just get it all to work. And um, because when I say non-technical, it's like most of the hacks guys are people who are into language design and things like that. So yeah, they write compilers and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Um, oh yeah, and so yeah, so so Philip did he ported BunnyMark yeah, as right. a demo, and it's just insanely fast. It's the it's the best BunnyMark yet, I would say. But that's compiling to to a Swift. Um, no, no. I mean, the Flash one you're limited by Flash, but it's the one because NME is a layer on top of um, uh, SDL. SDL. SDL is a C++ technology. Um, so we, this is a technical episode, this one. You have to keep using your brain. Simple direct media layer. 
Okay. And it's a cross-platform multimedia library designed to provide low-level access to audio, keyboard, mouse, joystick, 3D hardware via OpenGL and 2D video frame buffer. You just right? get, that just came out of your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got that. You didn't memorized. just read that out, did you? No. That's brilliant. Um, so, so, so it's a and, library that presumably provides a common API across several different platforms. Yeah, using OpenGL, based okay. on OpenGL, basically. Sure. Right. So then what what NME, hacks NME is, it's an implementation of basically the flash display list yeah. in, in, in written in hacks and targeting SDL. So Sounds now fun. any target, that anything that SDL can target, which yeah. is basically anything, you can target with hacks. Okay. And, but it has, and to be, has to be and that's C, the, right? Um, I guess, the, no, no, that's the thing. Anything that you can target, SD, anything that SDL can target, yeah, which is a C++ based, right? Yeah. It now has the now ha- basically has the flash display list API, which is just insane. Yeah. So then, I mean, if you compare like the performance that um, of Bunny Mark for things like uh, on the iPad, it's like thousands of sprites on the iPad, and there's no other technology is doing that really apart from other things that target OpenGL. Well, like Cocos 2D. Yeah, I think pretty much basically only Cocos 2D or writing your own OpenGL code. Oh, because oh, oh, how about um, how about Corona? Is it's way faster. Over? It's way yeah. faster than Corona. Yeah, sure. Corona not fast as right. it turns out, sure. and Flash certainly isn't fast. Yeah. and Unity 3D seems to be fast actually, yeah. even for 2D stuff. But okay. yeah, hacks very very fast. And so it, you compiled it into an iPad app. Yeah, I mean, um, Philip did all this. He compiled it into on loads of different Android platforms and Android tablets <laughs> and, an, and an iPad app and an iPhone app and all of them really fast, all of them like thousands of sprites. At, I think all of them at least hundreds of sprites at 60 frames a second, some of them like a couple of thousand. Yeah. And that's on the mobile platforms. And then on like native Windows, you can do like 30,000 at 60 frames a second or something. Sure. Yeah, so 30, it's cool, bunnies. basically. So if you've got a game where you have 30,000 zombies, then you'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, and, and this is interesting though because this is kind of... You know, playing, mucking about with it kind of has revealed to me one of the flaws of Bunny Mark, really, which is that the sprite's too small. <laughs> it's not a fair test of, of what you would really try and do. Um, well, I so mean, that, to be honest, all, all you really need to know out of a Bunny benchmark test is that your chosen t- platform was fast enough, right? And yeah, but the, but once the you've got is, enough, like, because, you know, even the canvas version where you've got 2,000 bunnies is like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, but with, that's with bunnies, though, but that assumes that your your sprite is only that big, which yeah. is like 32 by 32 or something. So yeah. my new one is um, Pirate Mark, right? So I've got... Amanda's done this really nice painting of a pirate child, <laughs> um, and it's like 256 by 256 we've got it sized at. Yeah. Um, and then you use that as your test, and then everything is way, way slower, but it's a much more realistic sprite for, like, if you're making an HD game. I see. Because okay. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the time I've been putting it to Alice is making it run full screen. Yeah, that's like really really important to me that you can full sc- press the full screen button and play the game, filling your monitor. I'm surprised and, that that doesn't happen more in flash games. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Not all the portals support it because you have to have in your. It's got to be in the embed as well. In the it? embed, you have to say allow allow full screen. Yeah, and but then some of the portals support it. But for me, it's just kind of. A, you know, that's my personal vision of the game is, I, you know, you play it full screened on your HD monitor. Um, and it works in Flash fine at 30 frames a second and I'm having to do, kind of compromise a little bit on the quality. Yeah. Um, what are you having to take out? It's just like I've bumped the quality down to medium, which makes all the, all so the a bit anti-aliasing less a little bit. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's still okay. It's, I can live with it, but... It's I mean, if it's bit. sort of high res, yeah. Know, and the other thing is, on some of the sprites, like the background sprites, um, I'm turning off because it doesn't also really have. This game doesn't really have a native size. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like I'm bringing in all the artwork in about five times as big as it's you normally see it. Right. And the reason for doing that is that you get much nicer, like rotation and scale and. Yeah, rotation basically. Sure. So you scaling um, up uh, bit maps up and down. In yeah, real time, I mean you're not pre-calculating anything. No, yeah, I'm not pre-calculating them, and you can move the camera in and out and things like that. And um, you know, Alice actually grows and shrinks as well because yeah. obviously that's part oh, yeah, of, of course. The, yeah. So it, and so some of the background art, like the big backgrounds, I'm turning off the smoothing entirely, so they're unsmoothed. 
because it's in the background layers, you don't really see it, or you you see it, but you can kind of ignore it. Yeah. But it's my, it ruins my kind of p- perfectionism for the game, basically. Yeah, sure. And and so you were saying, like, about it being, like, on the web, but you were also right. talking about the possibility of selling it through, like, the Mac App Store or something. Would you um, be able to do it, like, would you be able to package it up with Air or something? Yeah, I mean, that's how I would do it. Mm. Because I've built it in Flash now. Yeah. And I think you could package it quite nicely in Air and stuff, but... It's just that, like, if I if that is the way it goes, that would be a bit of an interesting decision because, like, then it becomes like, well, if I decided at the start of the project to say develop it with another technology like Unity 3D or NME hacks, you know, it would look way nicer at the end of it, or a little bit nicer anyway, and it would be 60 frames a second. And and I guess if you'd done it in NME, you could still you could still target Flash, right? Yeah, it, although if it had been optimized for the desktop platform. It then probably, probably wouldn't work, but it, it might just work on it. Might work on iPad though, sure. Which would have been, but then it might work on iPad anyway. If the iOS packager gets better, no, because the iOS packager is better now. Yeah. So it might just run because. Um, uh, have you got an iPad? I don't have an iPad, no, and I don't have <laughs> a. Um, but I mean, even um... I don't even have a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but someone was saying, I can't remember who it was, but someone was saying on Twitter. Um, that they they opened it because I was posting kind of some previews of Alice on Twitter and getting people to test the frame rates out and stuff just to you know make sure it, it's running well for everyone. Mm. And someone was saying that they opened it on their Android tablet and it was actually showing thirty frames a second at full screen and looked really nice. In in an in air for Android. No, in the browser. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which makes me think that actually in air for iPad on the iPad two it might actually just run. Um, but doesn't. I think the um, Air for Android, it's, it's optimised for moving bitmaps around, isn't it? Which seems to be what you're doing. Yes. Uh, and there, it's all rendered with, with hardware, right? The bitmaps are rendered with hardware, or do you have to set that weird caches matrix or whatever it was? What was it? Yeah, I never really understood that stuff. It's too complicated. But oh. I, think, I think now there's just a GPU mode where it will do the compositing on the GPU, yeah, which is just fast. Yeah. Now, there was a, a caches uh, matrix... There is, but I don't really understand that. Oh, it's uh, it's quite easy actually. Well, you know, I think I think I'm doing too much with zooming though. Right. Well, no, no, but caches. Well, caches. I wish I could remember the exact caches bitmap matrix. Caches bitmap matrix. And basically, that that's only useful if you're rendering vectors and you want them to be rendered as bitmaps. Yeah. So you know how like caches bitmap just converts your movie clip into a bitmap but then if you rotate it or scale it it will remake that bitmap again yeah whereas cache's bitmap matrix will just make the turn your vector your still vector image into a bitmap and then scale and rotate that original bitmap so yeah uh, but i thought that was how you well my my knowledge is obviously a little bit out of date but that used to be how you you uh, made sure that it did it with gpu Um, but now hopefully there'll be there'll be rendering those bitmaps with gpu anyway and if they can, if that happens in the ipad as well then yeah it should be at the point where where it's getting usable and certainly how you made your game you know from your, yeah. the way you I mean I'm spending a lot of time just optimizing it so that it runs well on pcs so yeah i think that probably it would be fine but who knows Okay, cool. Well, we're we're running out we're going on quite long aren't we on yeah, this we, so are. we, sh- we should probably play our interview yeah Okay, so um, this is Josh Hirsch. Uh, I caught up with him about happenings at Big Spaceship, you know, the multi-award winning uh, agency. So here it is. You're, you're in charge, like, are you still Minister of Technology? Is I that am. still your official role? Minister of Technology, yes. <laughs> nice suit for the unpretentious yes, job title. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, what, I mean, you're, you're, you know, I guess that's CTO type of role, right? So yeah, you're yeah, in yeah. charge of the, of the geek stuff. You head geek. I'm head geek. Yeah, I mean, I started out as a coder, and I still write a little bit of code here and there, not much for clients anymore, because it's hard for me to hit deadlines. But um, It's hard to hit deadlines. Yeah, just because si- I have to do, like, what I just did. Yeah. You saw that moment of wizardry I just performed, which is yeah. something people come in my office, and I, you know, I have to react a lot, so I have to have time in the day to react to things and be pulled into meetings and stuff. So I never know at the beginning of the day if I'm going to have, like, six hours to write code in. So if... If there's like a client project that's like, this has to be done by Friday and it needs 20 hours of code, I don't know if I'm going to have that. So I can't really, it's kind of risky for me to be in that. So I do a lot of research and a lot of experimenting and playing and like kind of managing and mentoring the team. And, and like I said, I've been here since we were six people. Uh, the only person I've been here longer now is Mike, the founder. 
And um, so I do a lot of other stuff too, just like kind of wear a lot of hats, maintain the culture, the thinking, kind of quality work, the spirit of the place. Or if you yeah. found that shift from code guy to, I guess, more of a business guy or troubleshooter, have you found that difficult or did that take a while to get used to? It took a while to get used yeah. to. And it's, yeah, I don't know if it's, I mean, I like, I like managing people mostly because I, I love the people on my team. They're just the greatest and they're super talented. Um, I don't feel like I have as much energy anymore for like learning new, like sitting down and learning how to program iPhone or something. It's just like finding energy to do that is hard for me now. But watching these guys do it is amazing. Um, but you still do research. Yeah, and, and I still research and I still play. I like, I like, just not the really hard stuff. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's why I'm so drawn to stuff like Corona because I can like have an idea and like crap it out really fast and be like, oh, this is cool and see what it's capable of. And then if it really needs to be something big, have, you know, work with somebody on the team to like build it out the right way. Yeah, I try to at least, you know, keep up with what general stuff that was going on. But I, I feel like now it's it's a lot about um, talking to guys on my team about sort of their approach and general architecture, not so much specific syntax and things like that, but just like here's a good way. Because I've built so much over the years, like I know good ways to start, good ways not to start. I know the, the like value of knowing when to kind of stop and refactor everything or to just plug away and keep going. So things like that. Um there's basically often it's more about asking the right questions oh, absolutely it? letting yeah. them figure it out definitely yeah <laughs> definitely so I can't help but notice I mean there's a kind of an embarrassment of awards around here <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're literally falling out of the, the cupboards and stuff. So you're clearly doing something, right? I mean, what? Yeah, how, did, how did you get, you know, how do you differentiate yourself from everyone else? How, what gives you that extra edge in, in quality? That's a really good question. I think part of it is we, we really, we really, we, we don't take for granted at all, like, what we've got here. And we try to make it a really fun place to be. And um, actually, one of the awards we won last year was we were on the top 30 list of best places to work <laughs> in media. All right, it's just embarrassing. Pretty kick ass. <laughs> Seriously, though, we were really psyched about that. Like, yeah, all the sure. work was great, but that was based on like employee surveys and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're like getting that kind of feedback. It's just amazing because that's what we, you know, just, we want people to want to come here and have a good time and have fun doing stuff. And I think that it sounds kind of cheesy, but I think taking care of each other and taking care of that and like making people know that their work's valued and that they can do cool stuff. It really, it has a direct effect on the quality of the work and the end product. I mean, I guess with, with any sort of creative digital team, there's often d difficulties communicating between the different departments. What have you done to, to get around those sort of We've problems? done something very specific. Yes. Funny you should ask, actually. <laughs> we, uh, I don't we, just pull this stuff yeah, out. I thought you were. Yeah, well, I am. <laughs> No, we used to sit, so we used to sit, anybody who's seen me give presentations, I've probably talked about this, but we used to sit like all the developers sat together, all the designers sat together, etc. And now we sit in teams, uh, cross-disciplinary teams. So a developer will sit next to a designer and uh, you know, a team working together on a project will all sit together. Um, so the smallest team is a producer, an art director, a designer, and a developer. And then that grows to a producer, associate producer, art director, designer, junior designer, developer, junior developer, you know, so, but all the disciplines are represented. They sit together. Um, we've got in our office these rows where everybody sits so people can turn around and talk at any time. You can kind of see what other people are working on. So the geography of the office really reinforces this kind of emphasis on the disciplines collaborating. And we just encourage, you know, people's interests, like if somebody, like, um, you know, some of our designers like to write code sometimes and vice versa. And we just want people to kind of, you know, the teams sort of operate very autonomously. Um, so they can kind of, they all have their own kind of working style. Um, do you have like any sort of specific process? I mean, do you, do you adhere to this whole scrum or agile or anything like that? Uh, we, not, none of those. We don't, we do scrums, but not with a capital S and we're agile, but not with a capital A. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like we, we, we're aware of that stuff and people schedule meetings and they call scrums and we talk about being, you know, being agile the way we develop stuff, but we don't have like books like, okay, next step in this process is this. Um, we, we, we often say we follow just enough process and, uh. We're always open to changing the way we do things as we hire people. Like, when we hire people, there's not, like, a training. It's like, this is how we do things. It's like, hey, this is how we do stuff. If you see any holes or any ways things can be improved or better, like, tell us. We'll change it. Um, so it's constantly evolving. I mean, yeah, when we were six people, we never thought we'd be like, ah, maybe we'll get to, like, ten people. And we're ten people, like, maybe we'll get to twenty people. So Has it been difficult to scale up that culture? I mean, I guess well, it's getting to the stage now where you can't really have a personal relationship with everyone. That's here. very good. Yeah, we're right 
Yeah, so we've been around this size, actually. We grew from six to around this size, really, like, in four or five years. So I've been here nine years. So for the past four years or so, we've been right around the same size. Just recently, we've had another little kind of burst of growth, sort of testing, you know, what kind of, I think... Around 50, 60, you are starting to sort of risk compromising the culture and knowing everybody and like having a good rapport with everybody. Um, but it's worked so far. And I think that I don't think we can get much bigger and retain that. And we're very aware of that, like how to scale that model. So, uh, so yeah, something we kind of think about a lot. Sure. Do you, how do you keep up with all the changes in technology and the sort of trends? Uh, Is that something you have to devote a lot of time? I mean, I guess you, you're in charge of like yeah. research, right? <laughs> yeah. But how do you sort of disseminate that and make uh, sure that everyone here is up to date on what's going on? Um, that's a good question. We do a lot. Well, so developers, developers, we have meetings every week, and we do a lot of like show and tells in the office, where either somebody will present something to the rest of the office, project they're working on, or an idea, or even better, we often have people come in whether it be from other similar agencies, artists, um, speakers from conferences that I know, or just like technology people, anything that even remotely relates, we have them come in and give a presentation. And um, that keeps people thinking about stuff, also sometimes exposes us to new technologies. We've got relationships with you know Adobe, Google, who help us kind of keep up, and just like, I don't know, just kind of keeping our eyes open, really. I mean, we're so like deeply embedded in this kind of stuff, it's kind of hard to miss stuff, really. Um, and as far as learning how to do it, um, we do a lot of internal projects where we play with technology we may not get to play with for clients, and hopefully we can pitch them stuff based on that, kind of proof of concept stuff. Um, just yeah, just like kind of we encourage people to play a lot, whether it be on a client project or not. Just kind of keep keep learning, but it is it's, it's uh, it does take a lot to keep up. But it's not like we're it's like oh we got to spend two days a week you know researching anything. It just kind of happens pretty naturally. And and I guess like a couple of years ago, you know, the work I was seeing that you were doing was pretty much all flash, right? And yeah. and I guess that's changed now. But I'm interested to know how much that's changed and, and what, you know what's it's your changed a lot. And uh, you know we don't we never like. And we even when we were doing mostly flash stuff, we had we vocalized internally and to the outer world that we weren't a flash shop, and that we we're you know we would choose the technology that best delivered the product. And flash was typically what it was because of the type of work we were doing. It was quite easy to market yourselves as a flash specialist back then as well, wasn't it? That's so true. Wasn't... But we never did that. Yeah, we never said like we're the, like we do flash mm. ever. We never did. It. Just we got lumped into that. People would say that about us, but we always said like no, we we work in whatever tech makes the most sense. But was it most mostly the work you were doing was in Flash? What other stuff were you doing back then? No, it was still most of it wasn't yeah, Flash, but yeah. we never, it was, that was just by virtue. You're just careful about how you described it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we wouldn't say like that's all we did. So the so from like a philosophical point of view and internally kind of the way we operate, it was easy to make the change. It's not like, oh my god, we're not a Flash shop anymore. Also, the development team we I, we've never had like a f like Flash developers or PHP developers or HTML developers. Everybody's just a developer, so it's not like we had to fire people and hire new people. Everybody's expected that people can jump in and learn whatever. So you know, most of my team have been around. Like a lot of my team have been around since we we're doing mostly Flash stuff. There, a lot of their first language was ActionScript, and they got into it through that. And now they're all doing everything but. Uh, one of my, you know, Jamie just I am the other day. Hey, I just opened Flash for the first time in months. And um, so, so it's, you know, it's been, it, it was a little, at first, like some developers, I, I remember definitely some people came here because they, they thought, oh, I'm going to be working in Flash all the time. And as times come on, I'm like, wow, I'm not. And it was a little, you know, kind of threw people out of their, out of their um, comfort zone for a little while. But now everybody's pretty psyched about just digging into whatever they have to and learning new stuff. So, so culturally, it's been pretty easy. Um, it has been, you know, it has meant that like some projects will kind of buffer the schedule a little bit to give time for research and stuff. Were you kind of leading that change or is it your clients demanding it or, you know, what was the, uh, the balance? A bit of both. Yeah. We, we didn't like, we, it wasn't like we clients started saying no flash, no flash, no flash. You know, we would just kind of evaluate what was out there. It was mostly a you know, type of work. Like, we're starting coming in, we're like, oh, Flash doesn't make sense for this. If we're doing, like, a bigger platform site, mm -hmm. you know, not so much like a microsite or, like, an experience thing, then it would make sense not to use is that, that. Is that kind of uh, indicative of a kind of trend away from those sort of microsites? I think so. I, I think microsites have been replaced in large part by, like, Facebook tabs or Facebook applications. You know, any, like, short message somebody wants to present, we'll put there. 
Um, and uh, you know, and we talk to our clients for like for the marketing gigs we do. We try to convince clients to, to think bigger than microsites anyway. Think bigger than just campaigns because campaigns you the, the client will like sink a bunch of money into one little push and then it goes for a few months and then it stops and then that's it. You start over. Whereas if you start you know think bigger and think about platform and like persistent kind of value, you can build something that can live and grow and change and evolve with how people are engaging with it and how what they like about it, what they don't like about it, and you can kind of you know gain more, give more goodwill, more value to people, and they'll stick with you longer rather than having to like reset their expectations every three months. Yeah, and uh, we've had some success with that, especially with like Skittles, a good example. Right. So. So how did that site work then? Was it? Well, Skittles, we started working on uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess. And they have they already have three million fans on Facebook, which is pretty impressive. Um, but they weren't really doing anything with them. They were just there because they liked Skittles and they liked the brand. The brand already had like they had these great television commercials and it was kind of cool, you know, vibe to them. And uh, we just kind of wanted to activate that and like make it, you know, use that. And it's so the, the type. The kind of style of the advertising already really lended itself to the internet anyway because it was just complete goofy kind of ridiculousness, which is what the internet's pretty much mainly about. And kittens. And kittens, <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, so we just started like giving the, you know, the, the, the stuff I think that the Skittles fans liked were, was the commercials, which was content. It was like entertaining content. You know, they're like little funny sketches. So we thought there's a lot of opportunity to give them more content through the Facebook stream and through Twitter's feed and through um, just like the site we wanted to make. We just had a stream of goofy shit. And thankfully, Skittles bought it. And uh, we ended up, you know, they went from 3 million fans on Facebook in a year to about 15 million. And, uh, you know, we just, we invented this character, the rainbow, who just posted something on Facebook at least once a day, just like little ridiculous things. And, and people loved it. It was all just like funny stuff. Did you manage that? Yeah. Or, actually, yeah, a guy here is, well, for, I think we just passed it back off to them recently, but a guy here was the rainbow for like a year. He wrote all everything the rainbow said. <laughs> Did he have an outfit or something? He Did should, he what? He should have had a costume. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at least a hat. Yeah. A special rainbow a rainbow. That, no, that's a good idea. No, nah, he's just Vic. He's just a guy. That's all. So uh, yeah, it was really fun, and they they kind of took a chance on it, which was great. And um, it it kind of it validated a lot of what we did say to a lot of clients. You know, if you kind of you could try a lot of little things out, see what sticks, see what doesn't. You know, build up the things that do, abandon the things that don't. You know, like it's another thing about working digitally is it's very cheap to fail. You can put a lot of ideas out there. What doesn't work, you can abandon. What does work, you can add to it. Whereas television commercial, you spend millions of dollars on 30 seconds. If, it, if it's a bomb, it's a bomb, it's done. If it's, if it's a success, you can make like a sequel, a la Old Spice. You know, you keep making the same commercial over and over again. But they then, put it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> put it on YouTube, but there's not very many places you can take it from there. So, so yeah. Sure, well, we'll just finish up. Um, but I guess I wanted to know what's, you know, what's really exciting you about, about technology right now? What, what's com- Is there anything coming up that you're like really into? Um, wow, that's a good question. I'm sort of excited about everything. <laughs> I was telling you earlier. Give me a list then. Yeah, well, I mean, just the, I want to see, I mean, there's just all these different devices. I mean, people are not spending, I mean, most, we used to talk about like the computer was people's first screen and then second screens and third screens, but now the first screen is easily people's phones. So like coming up with ways to really, you know, to make like really valuable stuff in that, in that format or whatever format. And, um, I don't know. It's just like there's. It's hard to say because there's a new thing. You know, think about like well, when the iPhone came out in 2007, right? So like four years ago, there wasn't an iPhone, and now it's it's just incredible how quick like that happens. So it's like just I guess what most what most excites me is the thing that I don't even know is going to exist in a month. I can't wait for that. And I'm <laughs> playing with the Connect a little bit, and that thing's really cool. That's really that's all I got. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Okay, cool. Another great interview. So you're really good at meeting all these interesting people and actually getting around to turning on the recorder, which I'm always too caught up in like the moment of whatever I'm doing at a conference or whatever to actually go, yeah, do you know what I should? It does, you know what? It does take quite a monumental uh, effort of will, you know, yeah. it's like... and especially your just, just to have fun with your friends, right? And not... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm always glad that I do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. it's. Um, but it is, yeah, it can just take a bit of effort. But sometimes it can actually justify my being there. Do you know what I mean? It was like particularly at IO. I wasn't speaking right. there and 
it was a very new group of people that I didn't really know. So in in what, some way, it kind of helped me right. to sort of um, maybe just integrate with them a little more. So that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it can be good. You should probably try it. I'd love to, to hear some interviews from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hint. Yeah, well, you cool. just got all caught up in your game jam, didn't you? And you... I know, the last one, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was doing the game jam and, like, Rich, my game jam teammate, would have been very unhappy with me if I'd spent the time getting interviews, I think, when we had sprites that needed drawing. Yeah. So. Although, although I do have to say, like, the next interview we've got next time uh, with Dan Schiffman was probably the easiest one ever because we were just at um, Art and Code at Carnegie Mellon and we just cool. went outside for a little bit. You'll hear all the sound effects. Well, <laughs> do you know what? We we never talked about teaching either. Oh, so. we didn't. Well, and, that would but, work really well with next yeah, time, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's going to fit thematically yeah. in quite yeah, so well, we, isn't it? We've so. got Dan Schiffman, who's a really key part of the processing community. Uh, he's the guy that ported the Connect drivers into a processing plugin, uh, but he also teaches at ITP, at part of NYU, uh, New York University, and he also wrote the Orange Learning Processing book. Uh, which is actually, if you read that book, it's really good for non-coders. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it is, yeah. So it's obviously yeah. way too advanced for you, but it right. might be interesting to you. <laughs> as, as so, I, I'm sorry, it's way you're way too advanced <laughs> for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it might be interesting to you as someone who's teaching non-coders how to program. Yeah, uh, it certainly, it's been a huge help to me in that. Oh, we'll it's, hard, it's really hard teaching time. people to program. I had a bit of a dispiriting thing today where. Bless my students, but like I set them like quite a simple task to do in class because I just wanted to do a bit of like assessment to not of each student individually, but just to see how I'm doing, like yeah. learning anything. And there were some of them that just couldn't start it. <laughs> they just had like this mental block of like, oh, I've forgotten everything. Yeah, because they're quite used to me like holding their hands a lot. Of course. Well, and... that's that's what it's like, isn't it, with program? But I think we should save this for next yeah, time. Yeah, we should. I think this will be cool. So, um, should we round it up? Should we yeah. wrap it up? Yeah. Anything, anything coming up for you next no, few weeks? Should we do Christmas. another podcast before Christmas? Should we do a Christmas episode? Yes. I'll get my sleigh bells out. Yeah. Just put, I think sleigh bells on top of our intro track was gonna, is going to sound amazing. So, it's just, You know, I actually do own sleigh bells. Cool. You're not going to ask me why. <laughs> Are you doing a Christmas song or not? Yeah, we're hoping to. Um, the last two years we've done a... Me and my wife Jenny has made a Christmas song, put it on YouTube. Um, but it was so much work, especially last year's, which was massively epic. I think I had like 60 tracks. Um, and it took me. It took us so long to do that it was only finished like Christmas Eve. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is a nightmare. So this year we're hoping... I mean, I'm hoping to record it tomorrow, actually. Right. Um, and it would just be much more pared down. Very right. simple, simple do you know what, song. Do you know what song was that still a mystery? Yeah, I know what song. Do you, do you want me to tell you that ruin the surprise? Do you think it will ruin the surprise? Yeah. Okay. I think so. One year I want you to do Christmas rapping by the waitresses because I think that's the best Christmas I was, song. Um, I was seriously considering it this year, actually, but it got ditched. Because, like, last year when I was thinking about it, I had really good ideas for recording that song. And now I've forgotten right. them all. Oh. So, <laughs> so it's I got didn't quite a lot of it. instrumentation on it, that song. Well, it got has. Like brass and. Yeah, I mean, I was. I think that's okay. Um, but I would have probably. Because it's kind of got the verses. Well, there isn't really a tune to it either, is there? It's sort of like half spoken. And so I would have. Well, it's quite, rapped, isn't it? Well, it's sort of a rap. It's kind of not really a rap. Sort of. A sort of rap. Mm. Um, but yeah, but we, it's all about that bass line. That boom, boom, it's a boom, fantastic, boom, fantastic boom, bass line. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, maybe next year. I definitely, it's definitely in the um, in the in the in the B list, or it's in the backlog. You know what else? <laughs> I'm not actually. I'm not going to admit. No, I will. <laughs> I'll do it. There's another song, right? I was, I'm a bit of a sucker for Christmas songs, and I've been digging out all brilliant ones. Oh, you know what's a really good album is. Um, you know Sixpence None the Richer, who did mm -hmm. Kiss Me? They did a, yep. a Christmas album like, right. like, two or three years ago. I think they broke up and then they got back together and did this Christmas album and then broke up again. I don't know. <laughs> um, but this Christmas album has got like three or four really brilliant songs on it, so check that out. Um, but I was going to make a really embarrassing admission, which is, um, like, you know how terrible Cliff Richard's songs are, right? His Christmas mm -hmm. songs are just awful. But there's one song that he did which is called Little Town, which is like a version of Little Town of Bethlehem, but really right. messed up. And right. it's like, it was when he was at his peak, 
which was like 81 or something like that. Right. And it's actually really, really catchy. And I really can't stop think, singing it. So I might have to do that next year as well. That's an cool. embarrassing confession. Everything else by Cliff Richard, except for Wired for Sound and, and this song is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> See what you started there, Ian? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just bring my sleigh bells next year. Next cool. month, next, next podcast. Cool. You got any? Yeah, so I guess we're just con- Christmas coming up, really. Christmas. I mean, what else can you say? I mean, I'm going to be working on Alex. I'm working on redoing my website as well. That's always hard. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got a new website design that has been soft launched. Oh really? But I haven't for I haven't, your blog or for my blog. Yeah. One thing with blogging is I find I do less and less blogging yeah, because I'm, I'm I just feel like what's the point? You know, if yeah. you've got like I've got way more followers on Twitter than people that used to read my blog, so it's like if I want to say something, I just get it down to like two tweets or something, and then yeah. And then not waste everyone's time with, and not waste your own time by having to write out these huge things because writing a blog post takes ages, mm. and a lot of the content ends up being filler anyway. Yeah, it's it's a tough one that I've been kind of struggling with because if I write a tutorial now, I'll probably put it on Creative JS if it's JavaScript. If sure. um, I, I guess sometimes I might feel compelled to write an article about more sort of industry stuff, but even those are quite difficult. And then of course we've got just got this podcast, which I find quite a good way to express my feelings and opinions mm. about stuff yeah. and it seems yeah. to be um i don't know it's weird I, I i seem to get less angry responses to the podcast than anything else i think maybe expressing yourself verbally is kind of a bit more i don't know sympathetic maybe i definitely think so and you definitely you see our opinions in the context of us and yeah. the things we say and we tend to qualify have a lot more time to qualify things and stuff like that yeah and I, i've um, I've got really bad on Twitter lately. Like, whereas all my sarcastic comments, I'd put smiley faces on, like, even a few months ago. Now I just right. don't do that at all. <laughs> I'll just make sarcastic comments, full stop. Yeah, no smiley face, no winky face, that's it. I tend to use I tend to use winky face for everything. Because yeah, see, I did as I, well. I never used to, I never used to, but there's so many people that don't get the irony either, and they just think that everything you say is serious. It's true, and, and that's why, like, like, I think it was last week, people were like, <laughs> God, Seb, you're so grumpy today. And I was like, oh, okay. I was just kind of being my usual sarcastic self, but left out the smiley faces, you see. Yeah. I like your website. I think it's good. Oh, well, guess who did it? it? Is it Val? Yeah, of course. It's the yeah. third Creative Coding Podcast <laughs> member. We should get her on yeah. one time. We should, yeah. Also, you know, your, your own personal designer. <laughs> well, I'm meant to be paying her this time. Oh, really? <laughs> um, of course, great. I haven't actually I like got around little... to it yet. You've got your little banner hiding at the bottom. Yeah, and, you know, apparently she's put Easter eggs in as well. I don't right. actually know what they are. Right. So, I mean, I found one of them, but there's apparently there's more. I, I, I don't know what they are at all. It sure. could be anything. Yeah, because, I mean, for me, like, my new... the reason, One of the reasons I'm really eager to redo my website is I want to start pe- pointing people there mm. as my main point of contact more than my blog, because it used to be my blog, because yeah. I was always updating that and, you know... That was always like a thing, but now I'm I'm blogging a lot less because I'm tweeting more and yep. doing this podcast instead, really. Mm-hmm. So, and I do sometimes you need to put you need that long form to do a blog, but it's so sometimes. rarely that I've got my thoughts add up to a whole article. Yeah, you know, I guess it's a different thing of like before I would have written a blog post backed up the things I was saying with some evidence and some links, whereas mm-hmm. now I just fire off like a tweet, like you know, it's, of I what I think quite... without any backing up at all or any evidence, just like yeah. Is what I think. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's kind of you have to qualify yourself a bit more, don't you? But yeah, I want to kind of have one one page, which is like like you know me and everything I do and everything I've done. Yeah, in one place. That's cool. I guess. Yeah, and just you keep scrolling down it, and it's really long because <laughs> I've done lots of things. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up properly yeah. this time. Yeah. Um. Thanks everyone for listening. Sorry, we got a bit geeky today. Um, let us know what you think in the comments and stuff yeah, follow us on um, twitter seb underscore ly and ian lob there's far too many i's in the yeah, word ian just mash the mash all the vowels and i a i n l o double b yeah perfect cool and don't forget to subscribe in itunes as well and oh, then yeah. you'll never miss an episode never miss out wow <laughs> <laughs> bye everyone thanks bye, bye.